You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Hello, and welcome to the CPR of Life, episode number one. I'm your host, Jessie Lynn McDonald. In this episode, I have the honor and pleasure of chatting with Robin Lockhart. Robin is a professional youth and community worker, co-founder of Catalyst in the Community, and director of the Griffin Research Community. And those are just a few of the hats he wears. If all this sounds impressive, it's because he is. Not just for the titles, but because who he is as a person. It's evident in everything he does how much he really cares. It's that humanness that cultivates real change in the world. He's also just a wonderful person to chat with. I guarantee you will leave this conversation feeling inspired. I know I did. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. My amazing guest on today's show is Robin Lockhart. Welcome, Robin. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So Robin and I have only had a chance to chat once before, but we also we went through some training together. And um, when I saw the work that Robin was doing, I thought it would be nice to reach out. So we've had one chat, and I've checked out his website, and the more I've kind of gotten to know about him and more <laughs> so talking to him, um, I've really, really uh, been impressed and inspired. So Robin, oh, well, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Oh, where do I start? Um, I really, my, what I'm known most for is for being a youth worker. Um, I've worked with young people in various different capacities for well over 20 years. And I uh, got into doing that work initially as a volunteer. Um, I was working in the music industry way back and just did some voluntary work with young people and, and really, really enjoyed it. Um, in fact, while I was in the music business, we, we had a studio and we would invite young people to come in and record if we had spare time. And uh, did that for a long, long time and then, and then got to a place where I just decided that actually I really enjoyed working with the young people more. So I went back to college and studied a thing called informal education. What's which that? was uh, Yeah, it means you can wear jeans. I think. <laughs> okay. No, no, it doesn't mean that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's about learning without being taught, mm. um, which in, in terms of the understanding that we share um, is, is crucial. And I'd, I'd never heard of the principles or, or any of those things back then. But when I recall and I remember how we were taught, it was all through experience. Um, we didn't have lectures. Nice. We, we all, we, we, we ha- it was a distance learning program and uh, we had to be working in the field and then we'd come together, I think it was 10 times a year, um, and talk about what we'd done at work. And in between that, we'd write our assignments about what we were doing at work. And one of the early, early um, things that I learned there was the true meaning of the word education, which has stuck mm. with me ever since and directly fits in with this principles understanding that, that we share which is this this thing about learning education being bringing out the the innate knowledge and wisdom the latent wisdom that's within people rather than seeing 
kids particularly as uh, empty vessels to be filled with knowledge that the teacher must must impart um, when you work the other way around and, and you get the kids to be the core of the process and, and, and get them to shine and let them bring the knowledge and the wisdom that they have to the topic, to the subject, it always works better. And informal education is, is supposed to be based on that. I, I've seen people who would claim that they're doing that but, but don't, and I've also yeah. seen teachers doing it in a formal setting. Um, so yeah. it's, not, it's not set in stone, but I think that, that's the way we all learn the best, I think. I totally agree. I just watched um, a TED Talk last night. I think his name was uh, Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Oh, amazing! I was just, and that's yeah. the same premise that he's saying, very much so. Absolutely, he's he's a hero of mine. He's, um, I mean, he, he he argues for a complete overhaul of the education system. Yeah. Um, and his, yeah, you know, he's been doing that for years, and and his way of thinking is really, well, so I should say, our way of thinking is really gaining yeah. ground. Inspirational. Um, so inspirational. yeah, there's the, places like Finland have uh, have got rid of. I don't know if they've done it in all their schools, but certainly there's been some big studies where they've got rid of year groups. They've got rid of subjects. Yeah. Um, they do project based learning in in groups of all ages, and they're getting much much better results. Um, and people, young people's well being seems to be on the increase in in those places. Whereas I don't know how it is where you are, but in the UK, there's this sort of epidemic of illness, mental illness. Uh, and, and huge problems around well-being problems for, for young people. Um, I think that's pretty much across, well, it's definitely here in North America yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, you see like the opioid crisis and like you say, mental health and well-being where anxiety, I work mm. with a lot of people with anxiety. And what surprised me actually is how young some yeah. of the kids that I'm working with, yeah. like six years old, yeah. you know, um, it's heartbreaking, you know, and that's, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing, you know, the understanding that we, you know, that we kind of teach from, um, or point to more so, you know? Yeah. And I, I think I've been, when I, when I first started, started on this journey, working with young people professionally, rather than as a volunteer, I kind of just did what felt natural. Um, I didn't have any proper training initially before I started doing that degree. And what I do hasn't really changed. Yeah. But the studies that I've done and the understanding that we share um, has led me to understand how it works. Yeah. Um, and also, I think it's, you know, I would never have called what I do coaching until maybe five years ago. Maybe it's just a buzzword, and in five years we won't be yeah. calling it coaching again. I don't know. It doesn't matter what we call it. It doesn't. It's just that it, it's, yeah. It's being, meeting people where they are, um, allowing them to be who they are, uh, allowing them to share what they need to share, and asking the right questions to promote the right thinking that enables them to have a shift of perspective. I, I call it the art of perception. That's wise, actually. You know, it's one of these things and one of the key points that you said in there is meeting them where they are. Because what I find often um, with some of the people that I'm working with and, and you see it often in schools is that we want them to be, we, we've created we've created this benchmark or this line where we think that people should be at. And yeah. they're supposed to meet us there. And it's, and it's just, you know, now when I look back, I just think it's so ludicrous and you see 
when you meet people where they're at and you, you give them the space, the potential and, yeah, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's limitless. In my organization, the, of which the, I have several, but one of them in particular, the Community Coaching Academy, we, we, we say all the time that young people don't care how much you know yeah. until they know how much you care. And yeah. if, you're, if you're a young person who's acting in a way, behaving in a way that the school, the college, uh, the youth center, wherever they are, finds unacceptable, the family, yeah. um, at what you said about the people meeting them, uh, expecting them to rise and expecting them to be in a different position. If somebody's acting in a way that isn't acceptable, there are reasons for it. Oh. And just expecting them to change their behavior doesn't work. Um, we can't expect people to adopt behaviors that they are unaware of. Yeah. We can't expect people to adopt behaviors that their current state doesn't allow them to perceive or even think are possible. And we also need to provide opportunities for people to recognize that they have some level of autonomy that they haven't currently recognized. So if a kid's fighting all the time, let's say, you know, the typical thing is that they'll get taken away from the classroom group or the family group or the youth group, taken away and put in an isolated place and expected to improve. Yeah. <laughs> what they need, if, they, if they're going to improve how they behave in groups, is they need to be in groups. Yeah. They need to be carefully managed and carefully supported and provided with really open, caring, nurturing conversations. Yeah. So typically, I've been in schools where I've seen a boy thumping another boy, punching the life out of him. And the teachers are trying to hold him back which, and shouting at him. And telling him to stop, which makes him dig his heels in and be twice as determined to continue the fight. Yeah. I just walked up to him, stood in front and said, are you okay? I'm a bit worried about you. Are you sure you're okay? And he just looked at me like I was crazy and stopped. And then burst into tears. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had a conversation in private about what was going on for him. And he was having a terrible, terrible time outside of his school at home. Awful time. Um, Hello? I've had situations where people are talking about things that, I don't know, maybe would shock a lot of people. The, the, the things that go on in people's houses yeah. in private. That, that young people seem to, on the face of it, withstand and, and rise above and, and they get on with their lives. But, but when you find out what's actually happening, you know, the kids that are being typically seen as being the ones who are failing and the ones who are not, not performing, I think they're amazing. Yeah. The fact that they get up in the morning, the fact that they leave their house in the morning, the fact that they're still attending school. Um, I remember one kid... Uh, this wasn't even a boy I was working with. I was doing a group in a school and this teacher came in red faced and said, listen, I've got, uh, can you come next door and help me with this boy? I don't know what to do with him. His attitude stinks is what he said. <laughs> and I went next door and this boy had been late regularly. Um, and the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back on this occasion was he turned up 
um, what, what the teacher said is he's, he's brought the wrong PE kit, and that's just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. So the teacher left me with this child, and what he told me was that mum had just been diagnosed with a terminal condition. Oh. Dad wasn't around. He was a carer for his mum, and he also took his two younger siblings to school every day. Yeah. That's, that's why he was consistently late. And this day, he had brought in the wrong socks. And when the teacher came back in, I said, look, I just want to say, I think his attitude is fantastic. What this child is going through and what he's managed to do is amazing. And the fact that he's brought the wrong socks is irrelevant. He's here. He wants to do PE. He's a little bit late, but you know why he was late? Yeah. And and when we meet people where they are and allow them this time and the space to just fully express what's happening for them without the pressures of, you know, the subjects or, or without the pressures of, of any goals. That's when they rise. That's when they overcome things. That's when they start to see things in a different space, in a different light. Um, and it's beautiful to see. Um, I spent last Saturday with, uh, families actually, not, not just young people, but young people and their families who had all been bereaved through murder. Um, there's a charity that I run called Through Unity, and we support families after a homicide. And, you know, people say to me, how can you, isn't it depressing? How, how can you do a day like that? We spent a whole day together. We ate together. We had some people come in and do massages and a little bit of arts projects and a little bit of music. And, and we had kids from, what well, there was a baby there, um, a few toddlers and then some teenagers right up to grandparents all together. And they've been through hell, but they've been through it and they've come through it and they are able to, every single one of them, actually, I'm thinking now as I'm speaking, every single one of them was able to find something positive out of the horrible, horrific, tragic scenario that they've been through, um, which is inspiring. It's definitely, it's one of these things where we, I think people often underestimate their own resilience and that's the yeah. beauty, the understanding yeah. that we share is that, yeah. you know, it's, it's there, it's always there. And even with that young boy you were speaking about, you know, it's one of these things where I've had conversations with teachers um, and others who work with youth about labels, you know, often what happens mm-hmm. if you have a, a bad kid, you know, um, and so instead of seeing the individual, they just see that label that's attached, yeah. you know, and often in cases, the potential then is kind of, they don't create the space for the potential or, or the person to shine. Like you say, in that case, just that the kid showed up at school with all that stuff going on. Um, he still wanted to do the PE, you know, that's the, that's the stuff where inspiration and resilience happens. Yeah. It very much depends on, on how we view yeah. things. I mean, you know, the same scenario can be viewed as a problem or it can be viewed as an inspirational incident. It's, uh, and the same thing with the labels, you know, not just good and bad or lazy or messy or mm. any of those you know, troublesome, all of these labels, but the actual conditions often. Yeah. I see them as, as often to just to be labels. I'm not saying there is no such thing at all as a mental illness. I mean, I know that there are you know, psychosis does exist. I believe that, but that's not who somebody is. Yeah. 
you know, be, being labelled as depressed or, or having an anxiety disorder of some sort or even ADHD. Mm. I, th- I see these things more as things that we do yeah. rather than things that we are or things that we have. Yeah. And, you know, these are behaviours. And, you know, if, if a kid's diagnosed with ADHD and then through a process, through some realizations, through some insights, through some practice, learns to manage their behavior, you know, what I always say to those kids is, is go back, show your doctor your school records, talk about how you've improved, get some evidence, get your parents if they care, if they're around to talk about how you've improved, and maybe they can remove the label. Yeah. You know, if you're not displaying the behavior, then surely you don't have the condition. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, behavior is not who we are. We're not our behavior. And it's also something where it's never, and yeah, it's not a permanent thing either. You know, like it can be something in that moment that was, you know, but now it's not. And that's, yeah. that's to do with all things. Yeah. You know, it could be that yesterday... I was feeling shy in, in this particular situation, so I didn't talk, but that's not who I am as a person. Yeah, and, and it, I don't see what's achieved with the labels often. Um, even things like, um, do, do you use the, the term special needs, special yeah. educational needs? Yeah. Well, I think everyone's got special needs yeah. in something, in some areas. You know, if you put me in a classroom with, with pianists, I'm, I've got very special needs, or Cantonese speakers, <laughs> yeah. or... Uh, you know, I've, I'm I'm a dunce, mm. but that's not going to help me to learn how to play the piano or to learn Cantonese or yeah. anything. You know, um, I just uh, I try to see people as as just human beings, as people who have millions of things going for them, rather than focusing on the, the one or two or three things that they've got that are challenging or problematic. Um, yes. And in my career, I've, I've generally worked, uh, uh, again, I don't quite know how it is in, in, in your area, but in the UK, certainly, if we want to run a youth program and we want to get it funded, we have to look at everything that's wrong with young people. Mm. You can't get government money or a sponsor or somebody to say, we just want to do some work with some young people. And they, say, they will say, what's wrong with them? Yes. What's the problem we're addressing? Yeah. Um, and then you're into the, you know, you're looking at them through the lens of their problems. Yeah. Which is not helpful if you want to overcome the problem. <laughs> yeah. It's like they have to fit into a specific box or ch- to check that box off. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. yeah. I had a conversation once with, this was slightly older young people, um, not school age. This was young people who had left school um, but had never worked. And the, the government the DWP Department for Work and Pensions is insisting that they must do training courses if they want to collect, continue to collect any sort of state benefit. Um, so we were brought in as part of a, um, it was an eight week process and we did eight days of those eight, of that eight weeks. We did four days at, um, we, did, we did 10 days, four days at the beginning, two days in the middle and four days at the end. And in between they did some outdoor pursuits and CV writing workshops and mock interviews and all sorts of stuff. And at the beginning of the process, the, the, the DWP said to me, look, could you work with, and then they listed you know, hundreds of different problems. 
Hmm. Could you work with gang members, ex-gang members, victims of gangs, family members from gang, uh, gang members' families, uh, drug addicts, alcohol abusers, homeless people, uh, people with mental health diagnosis, etc., 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 etc. Children in care, looked after, who grew up in care. Um, all of these different categories. I said yes, we can work with them. And he said, right. Well, which ones? <laughs> And I, and I, <laughs> if I they said, have a heartbeat. <laughs> I said, yeah, all the ones who are people, we can work with them. And he said, well, that's quite a lot of groups. And I said, well, I don't know what you mean. And he had in his head that you would have to do a group for ex-gang members and a group oh. for family members of gang members, and you'd have to do a group for homeless people, a group for people who grew up in care. And I said, no, they could all be in the same group. And have you ever thought that perhaps one of your clients is, has been all of these things? Yeah. But that's not who they are or what they're capable of. So if they have a heartbeat, if they're human, they can be in the room and we can work with them. Um, and we did the program and we got something like 56 or 57% of the people that did our program went on to get jobs within the next few weeks. Wow which blew their results out of the water. Um, but we did things like one guy had a, he had a criminal record from when he was a, a kid, like a juvenile criminal record. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, his thing was that he does see, he hands out CVs, but never gets a job. He said, I'll never even get an interview. And we looked at his CV and he didn't have anything to really put on there. He was clutching yeah. at straws. So we got him to do a one line CV. But he had his contact details, and then it was just a YouTube link. And we recorded him talking to camera, saying, yes, I've got a criminal record. I was stupid when I was a kid. I got into trouble, and I've not been in trouble since, and I need somebody to give me a chance. I'm hardworking. I'm punctual. I'll give everything I've got. Uh, I just need you to give me a chance, please. When I've been giving out CVs for the last four years, nobody gets past the fact that I've got a criminal record. They don't even want to meet me. And he got a job because if you know, you can imagine if you're an employer, you're getting a thousand CVs a week. Yeah. And then somebody sends you a YouTube link that stands out straight away. Yeah. Um, one guy we worked with turned up for his mock interview wearing a cardboard tie that he'd made. And, <laughs> and the lady running the, running the mock interview got very upset. And he said, well, it's a mock interview. So I'm wearing a mock tie. <laughs> I, I wanted to give him a job there and then. That's so creative. <laughs> 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 ah, there's so many of these stories that you have. Like, tell me about. So you have, I, you're you're, you're very diverse. I mean, you're a youth worker, community and youth worker, right? Yeah, that's that's the heart of what yeah. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you also have you're the co-founder of Catalyst in the community, right? Catalyst in communities, yeah. Yeah, that's, then, that's the vehicle for most of that work. Okay. Yeah. And then director of the Griffin Research Community. Yeah, with, with the same people. It's the same, okay. Gr- Griffin, Griffin is, a, is a company rather than a social enterprise. Okay. Um, and Griffin focuses more on the sort of criminological research and evaluation side of things. Mm, okay. Um, I run both of those organizations with a guy called Dr. Pasco. Okay. Who has uh, got a completely different skill set to me, which is why it works nicely together. That is nice. Um, and then through those two organizations, we started to work with a, an amazing guy called Bob Singer, who is a, a master youth coach. 
uh, and we started the Community Coaching Academy together. Um, using coaching approaches with, with communities to, to help them solve their own problems. Um, I, I have a strong, I was going to say a strong belief. It's not a strong belief. It's more than that. It's knowledge that solutions to problems have to come from within. They have to come from the person or the community that has the problem. Yes. can't impose a solution. Um, it doesn't work. It might work for some time, but it doesn't stick. Um, so we work in communities, and those communities could be a, a school, a college, a prison, uh, a business, an area, um, you know, a country, um, and we explore together, um, starting very much from that sort of inner inner perspective, the inner space, um, trying to help people find answers to, to stuff that they've been struggling with. Um, and Bob's a wonderful guy to work with. He is, um, he's not really a, a three P's guy, yeah. um, but he totally gets it and totally understands it. And he's Indian. Um, he's a Sikh and just says, but yeah, of course that's the way it's, that's, that's, it's always been that way. But, you know, Sydney Banks is not articulating anything new. It might be new to people in London. It might be new to people in, in America, in the West. It might be new to Europeans, but it's not new. Um, I had the same experience with some young people in Africa last year. Was it last year? Year before last. I went to Uganda um, with the Commonwealth, who I do some work with. Um and those kids just, I was starting to chat up to them about the, the three principles and, you know, how thought creates our experience and all of these things and everything comes from within. And they looked at me and were like, yeah, yeah we know. <laughs> yeah, we know that, yeah. So let's talk about something else. And I generally find that it's, I don't talk about that stuff when I'm working with people. I just, I, they lead, really. They lead. Yeah. Um, and I'm there to to maybe steer things um, a bit like a sheepdog rounding up the sheep. The, mm. the, the least, the least input that I have the better for the process really. It's kind of just helping them connect the dots. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's all that we can ever do really. Cause we can think that we have the perfect, <laughs> I can say I have the perfect solution for your problem, Robin. But yeah. Well, if, if Robin doesn't do it, it ain't going to work. Right. <laughs> so one of the things I found really interesting when we, when we spoke last was about you come from a very, very diverse, um, both ethnically and faith-based uh, family background. So I wanted to chat a little bit about that because I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, it's, it is. And I, I count my blessings for that every single day. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what's enabled me to do the work that I do. Um, I seem, even when I did music, I, I worked in, in reggae. I worked in black music pretty much exclusively um, mm. and never felt out of place, never felt awkward. And, and quite often I'd be in a, in a venue and people would, somebody would say regularly, <laughs> you're the only white person here. <laughs> How do you feel? And I would like, oh, I hadn't actually noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel fine. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. um, so my, my journey started in Zambia. I was born in Zambia um, in, a, in a, what was then a quite a small village. I don't know if it's a small village now. Yeah. My parents were teaching. And the, the, the family legend is that the, our village was four hours drive to a proper road. It was quite remote. Yeah. 
Um, I know I was the first white child they had ever seen <laughs> way back when I was born in the late 60s. Um, and my mother is Eastern European origins. She's got Viennese, Czech, Polish, Russian, Hungarian in her. Uh, my dad is Scottish and Irish. Um, so we left Africa. I was only small when we left, and we moved to Scotland. And then we moved to London when I was a teenager, and I've been in London ever since. But the Jewish side of the family, my mum's side, which according to them makes me Jewish, because it comes through <laughs> the mother's side. But my dad's family are Catholic, and according to them I should be a Catholic, but I'm neither, really. I'm a, I'm a Jew ethnically, half of me, yeah. but not particularly religiously. Um, but they scattered. That side of the family scattered from Eastern Europe when the war happened, um, and they've mingled with people wherever they've scattered. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got some Chinese relatives. Uh, we've got some African American relatives. I've got Jamaican relatives. Um, we've got some First Nation American relatives, um, and it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's I, it, what, what it's led me to to feel is that. I don't need to join something to fit in. Mm. I don't need to say I am a Jew or I am a Catholic or I am a whatever. We strip away all of those things. We strip away ethnicity and gender and, and economics and what job you have and which part of the world you live in. and All of those things are irrelevant. Underneath it all, we are people. We're humans. Yeah. And when we get to a conversation from one human to another human rather than one mask to another mask mm. we get places when you yeah. speak i mean it, it sounds um a little bit trite but there's a saying about when we connect soul to soul rather than role to role mm. is when things really start to happen and i think you can only do that human to human if you try and do that teacher to pupil or even father to son it's a different level of connection. If you're connecting with your son or I'm connecting with my son as two human beings, yeah. it's beautiful. Um, and it, 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 it seems to accelerate the stuff that the professionals want to happen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody's interacting from their professional role as a psychiatrist or a therapist or a teacher or a doctor or counselor, whatever it is, coach, and they maintain that role, it prevents the empowerment. It prevents the change. It prevents the, well, maybe not prevent, maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe it slows it down. Yeah. Well, because it's, again, it's one of these things where we're not really meeting people where we, where they are. We're meeting yeah. people where we yeah. think. I always say to um, some of my clients is that if you take a brown egg and you take a white egg and you crack it, yeah. <laughs> it's the same inside, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's where, you know, it, what I like about, and I really admire about, like, who I call it, I said you have a Dolly mixture of a, of a background. <laughs> um, and Dolly mixture in North America is just, it's, it's, it's a bunch of different candies. It's not one yeah, yeah. specific one. Yeah. But it, what I like about it is it shows the power of the fact that you don't fit into a box. I mean, I'd be curious on a census form. What, what do you fill in? <laughs> I, I, I usually tick other and say human. Mm. Um, 
And nice. if there's an ethnic monitoring form to take, I usually take other and, and yeah. write you. <laughs> um, my, my nephew, who is six, six years old now, when he was about four, his, his dad is Jamaican. Um, and to most people looking at him, they would say he was black. Mm. He knows that he's got some white in him. He knows he's got yeah. some Chinese in him and he knows he's got probably some Indian of maybe Indian Indian or, or with, um, Amerindian. He's not sure. Um, and I was walking down the road with my nephew when he was, I think he was about three and a half or something. And this lady came over and said, Oh, he's so cute. Is he mixed race? <laughs> at which point he looked at her, looked at me and went, no, I'm a hundred percent human. <laughs> <laughs> You know the what? wisdom of children. I was just going to say. It's beautiful. And it's so real. You know, like there, there it is. Like we know, you know, like it's, that's without the mask. That's just showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, back to that thing you were saying about the egg. That it, we, we bleed the same blood. We breathe yeah. the same air. We, we function yeah. the same. We might face a different direction to pray. We might read a different book. We might eat different food. And I think, fantastic. Yeah. Let me try some of that. Let me let me sample some of that. Yeah. Let me, and here's some of mine, and here's some of theirs. And let's have you ever heard of this? Try some of this. It, it, that's the beauty of life. It, diversity yeah. for me is it, it, it excites me. Mm. I love other cultures, and I love finding. You know, difference is great, uh, but but underneath it all, there is communality. Yeah. Um. It's it's wonderful to find that out. I remember working with some Bengali boys in East London um, who were East London born and bred, but were Bangladeshi. Didn't mix very much with anybody who wasn't Bangladeshi. And they didn't know that other cultures ate rice. <laughs> they, seriously, they thought it was just a Bengali thing. They didn't know that anybody else had rice. Oh. I thought, well, you've never had a Chinese takeaway. You've never had <laughs> yeah. rice and peas. You've never had jell-off rice. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. People keep their blink they keep their blinkers on. Yeah. And stick to what they know. And and that's the root of prejudice. That's the root of mm. all kinds of unkindness and, and challenges and difficulties. And if we can just take our blinkers off and see the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and see what's inside. Uh, back the other things just entered my mind. There was a lovely thing. Sorry, a while back, but if you have an egg and it cracks from the outside, that's the end of life. Hmm. If you have an egg that cracks from the inside, that's the start of life. <laughs> and it feels like people are, you know, when you're de dealing with stuff that's on the outside, that, that's the end. That's yeah. the route to the end. And when you deal with stuff that's on the inside, you get to the core of who people are. They're not their faith. They're not their hmm. skin color. They're not their gender. They're not their job. I love that. There's, some, there's something more than that. And we're all more than that. All yeah. of the time. That's, that's really cool. I was thinking when you were, uh, when you were talking about the, the rice, when we first moved to Canada, we lived with this Italian lady and I'll never, ever forget, I was seven when we moved here, and the first meal that we had, and the table was all orange food, <laughs> hmm. which we had never had before. And for years, she would send, when we moved into our own house, 
um, like homemade lasagna, homemade pizza. And we'd always give it away because we were like, I mean, no. no. <laughs> and then I tried it and I was like, oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe we gave that away. But yeah, that's it's incredible. But that egg story, that's 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 powerful actually. That's a good one. Hmm. I'm gonna combine that with my example. That's a that's a good way to So Robin, I know that we're running out of time here. I know that uh <clears throat> we've got some you've got some place to be. I wanted to talk to you about two more things. One of them is you're starting or your I love youth work. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I Love Youth Work is a podcast that, that Bob that I mentioned earlier had been running um, for a while. He hasn't done it for a little while. We were due to relaunch it in January. Um, but we were visiting my, my colleagues at the Commonwealth um, and we mentioned that we were going to relaunch it in January and they've asked us to relaunch it sooner. So iloveyouthwork.com will soon be delivering podcasts uh, in partnership with the Commonwealth. Nice. And we're going to encourage people throughout the Commonwealth and beyond to start to have some I start to have some conversations around young people. Um, and we're going to also encourage young people to participate in those conversations. Young people are globally, currently, and for a while, probably centuries, have been seen as problems. Yeah. And I just don't believe it. Young people are not the problem. Yeah. They face the problems that, that are there. Some young people have grown up in a huge inequality. Some young people have grown up in violent homes. Some young people have grown up in addiction homes. And they're not the problem. And I'm looking to them as solutions. Yeah. And when we change how we perceive young people, again, that art of perception, if we, if we look at young people based on only what's wrong with them, that's all we can see. Yeah. And if we look at them, they might have, you know, three or four things that are wrong with them, but they've got plenty of things that are right with them. And when we interact and, and have the conversation on that basis, the whole interaction changes. Um, I think that that's the, the root of the, the youth violence problem that's been happening in London recently. It's the root of the well-being issues we mentioned earlier. Yeah. It all comes down to that. Um. There's a quote, when you change the way that you look at things, the yeah, things you look at, things you look at change. And yeah. it's so true. And I, there's a conference coming up in Devon in November that our one of our colleagues, Liz Scott's putting on. Or That's Liz, right, yeah. Um, you're speaking at, actually. And I, think I am it, indeed. Is it Resilient, resilient, young, resilient minds? young Minds? Yeah, right. on the 22nd and 23rd. Have I got that right? 22nd and 23rd of November in yeah. Devon. Yeah. Um, will you put the details up? I absolutely will. Oh, that's fantastic. One fantastic. of the things I love is that uh, because I'm, we're an ocean apart, you and I, and <laughs> and um, that they also have a live stream option at the conference as they well. Do. Which is, they do, and they've got some very, very good speakers. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, um, I think it's that sounds like me saying I'm a very good speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself I'm a pat on the back. The other speakers there. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about. Um, changing Minds in Challenging Times. That's the title of my Ooh. talk. Um, nice. And it, it's focusing on young people. I think some young people are coming, but it's, it's mainly aimed at, young, at people who work with young people. Yeah. So youth workers, teachers, and, and, and other, other staff um, of places who work with young people. And it's, it looks like it's going to be a really interesting couple of days. Well, I, I think it's going to be amazing. And... I think that, I mean, taking some of a lot of that and feeding that into you, you're going to have loads of podcast uh, content for the next while for 
you know, it's, it's amazing. We've got some amazing things happening, um, which is all, it's it's wonderful. We've got a BBC documentary coming up. Oh, cool. What's that Um, on? It's going to be called East Side Story. And it's loosely based on West Side Story, but we're going to work with a load of young people in East London. Nice. um, And enable them to see that we are not our stories. Oh, we all grow fine. up. We, we all grow up being told who we are and what we're capable of, and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, and what we can become and what we should never even consider that we could might become one day. Um, and none of it's true. Yeah. And we've got to work with some people on some um, housing estates in East London to enable them to participate in an art process. So we're going to have some drama, some music, cool. some creative writing, um, probably some dance, and. We've got some quite high-profile people, some very famous uh, musicians and actors, and people are going to come and support them. Oh, that's fabulous! Uh, and at the end of it, there will be a there will be a stage production called East Side oh. Story, which will be some of their stories. And we won't know which people are playing. There might be somebody acting somebody else's story. Hmm. There might be somebody acting a story that they've rewritten. Yeah. So they they might start the process with this negative story about who they are and what they can become, and then that changes. And they might portray that. It's up to them. We don't know. It's, it's very much them deciding. We don't know whether it's going to be more drama than music or more dance than drama. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's their show. It's their show. But it's being filmed for broadcast on the BBC. And it's going to be broadcast sometime in May. Um, so that's exciting. That's very exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, there's all sorts of things happening. And, and, and it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. It's hard work, but I love my work. So I'm not complaining about that ever. No. I think that what what we get to do is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. When you look at it from that perspective, you know, I'm grateful. And, uh, you know, when you see the look or even when you see people and you see youth that you're working with that are troubled and that you, we look at them and we give them the space just to be who they are. Yeah. And, you know, there's, 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 there's so much to be said about that. I'm so grateful. The gratitude that you see and feel in others. Yes, it's, so it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, you know, young people are no different to, to us older people. They just yeah. haven't been here as long. <laughs> They're wiser. <laughs> they haven't been as, as polluted as us, perhaps. Yeah. Um, you're so right. And, and, there's a great thing about gratitude. If you could just every hour, once an hour, be grateful for being alive and just bring a smile to your face. And just, you know, every night, a million human, pe- human beings don't wake up the next morning. Yeah. You know, every day is, is, a, is a blessing and a gift. And uh, we, we, could, we could make the most of that. And it's, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to do the work that we do with yeah. people. Yeah. I was going to ask you on an ending note, what message would you like to get out to the masses? And I'm not sure if that would have been it. What you just said. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> um, it, it could be that. It could be that. I mean, one of the, one of the hashtags that we use at Through Unity, the charity that, that supports the bereaved families, is hate can't win. Hmm. And that's core. In, in, in my life if, is that you can meet somebody who might be full of anger or full of hate or full of violence. And if you meet that with its opposite, 
something special happens. If you if you meet somebody's violence or anger with your own anger, you you create more, yeah. and that can't win. And, and you know, kindness and, and nurturing and, and loving trumps everything. And, and that's that's the way that I, I want to see things progress, and that's the way that I think most people want to see things progress. Yeah. And when when humans are given a space and, a, and an opportunity to express that, they they will normally take that. They feel it. They feel the difference. They know the difference. Yeah. Connecting at the soul. We know the difference. Yeah. Well, yeah. Robin, listen, this has been a fabulous interview. I've loved the chat. And, um, Likewise. Thank you. I hope that we can do it again. There's so many of your projects coming up that, you know, we'll maybe get to chat about it again after your series comes out or in the future. Yeah. Why not? It'd be mm -hmm. great. Well, thank you so much, Robin. No, thank you for having me. Okay. And thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. I love this conversation. Robin has such a huge heart and is doing amazing things to help make this world a better place. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. Young people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Solutions to the problems have to come from within, whether that be with the person, the community, the school, etc. You can't impose solutions. And finally, when we have conversations, one human to another, instead of one mask to another, we get places. Thank you for listening. Robin's contact details and information, as well as any links mentioned in the podcast, can be found in the show notes. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.